0: Amen, amen. If you can, while you're standing, reach for your Bibles, prepare for our scripture reading this morning. Today we'll be continuing in the series in Philippians, remaining in chapter 3, reading verses 1 through 11. If you're in need of a few Bible, there should be one in front of you, and you'll be able to find that on page 1165. Pastor Bruce continues his reading and his sermons. Today, speaking on living a Christ-centered life. But Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11, follow along with me as I read. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you as we gather together to worship and be in community together. I thank you for your son for his sacrifice, that we may be in right relationship with you, God. I pray that you would give Pastor Bruce the words to speak, that we would be open to listening, God. Have our hearts open and ready for change. I pray this in your name. Amen.
1: As we have seen for several weeks now in our series here, Philippians, The central theme of this book, this letter that Paul has written to the church at Philippi, recorded for our benefit even today, the central overarching big idea is joy in the journey. We have seen this throughout the first two chapters of Philippians. And now, here in chapter 3, Paul is pleading with us. In fact, it is his personal testimony that he is sharing with you and I, and his plea... Through his testimony, is simply this, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Make it count for the glory of God. In other words, what we are seeing here is Paul transitions from chapters 1 and 2 now to chapter 3, where it's really the essence of his personal testimony. He is linking this joy in the journey that we can have through Jesus Christ, and he's linking it now with making it count. Making a life count for the glory of God. Don't waste it. In other words, if you want to have joy in the journey, if you want to experience joy in your journey, then live a life to the glory of God. Live a life that counts for His glory. Now, most people, by and large, they don't want to waste their lives. I I truly believe that. Most people don't graduate from high school with a goal of wasting their lives. Ethan, I don't think that's your goal. I don't think that's his goal when he graduates here from Staley, is to now set forth on a life path that just wastes his life. Now, maybe that's some people's goal. Most people, though, really do want to make their lives count for something. The problem is most people don't really have a clue what that means in light of eternity, though. They don't know what it means to make their life count, in other words, for the glory of God. And so most people just go through life doing the best that they can with the hope that they are making their life count for something, whatever that might be. Others go through life striving to achieve as much as they can or to acquire as much as they can, thinking that that is the essence of making your life count in this world. Still others go through life just hoping to do enough so that they get to the end of their life they can kind of look back on their life and say to themselves well i don't think i wasted it i hope oh i hope i made it count for something before paul's life was radically changed by jesus christ on this road to damascus paul wanted is like we all do to make his life count for something As an Israelite by birth, this meant being the best Jew that he could be. This meant striving to obey the Mosaic law. This meant striving to earn God's acceptance, God's favor through his good deeds and living this moral lifestyle. And as a Pharisee, nobody had more zeal in their life and in their religion than Paul. Paul was on a mission before Christ even, to make his life count in the only way that he knew how, and that was through his own good works, through what we are calling self-righteousness. And nobody could boast more than Paul when it came to self-righteousness. But then Paul encountered Jesus Christ, and let me tell you, his whole life was turned upside down. That day, on the road to Damascus, Paul came to the end of his self-righteousness, which could never make him acceptable before God. And he received by faith Christ's righteousness, which is the only one any one of us has ever made right with a holy God. And now, looking back over his life, Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 8, Whatever gain I had, that is before Christ, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the, of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord and so having counted loss the the many treasures of this wasted life in order to gain his only treasure which is jesus christ what do you think paul wants now what do you think his passion is now Well, Paul still wants to make his life count, except now he wants his life to count not for his sake, not for his own glory, but for Christ's sake and for Christ's glory. Paul tells us specifically here in this passage what he wants. He shows us, he's journaling for us, and he reveals for us what his all-consuming passion is in life. Notice it again with me. Look what he says. Look in your Bibles. In verses 10 through 11, he says, That I may know him. That's his all-consuming passion. And who's the him? It's none other than Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so here's what we see in the climax of Paul's personal testimony, that the all-consuming passion of the life that counts for God's glory is to live a Christ-centered life. That's Paul's passion. That's a life that counts. That is what leads to joy in the journey. And for Paul, Jesus is not just a ticket to heaven. Jesus is his treasure here on earth. And what Paul has tasted so far of Jesus' grace and his righteousness, it's only whetted his appetite for more of Jesus. It's almost as if Paul has eaten bologna all his life. And now he has tasted some good Kansas City barbecue, and he just wants to feast on some burnt ends and ribs. And having tasted now the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus at salvation, Paul is, is eager, it's his passion, it's his zeal, in other words, to know Christ more and to know the power of his resurrection, and even, as we will see, to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In other words... Paul's passion in life is to live a Christ-centered life. Why? Because Paul understands that that is the pathway to making your life count for God's glory. That is what will lead you to experience joy in your journey here on this earth. Paul's passion is fully focused on Christ. His relationship with Christ has totally eclipsed everything else in his life. And so what Paul is doing here is he is making a contrast for us between his former life in Judaism and his present life in Jesus Christ. Self-righteousness, he understands, it leads to a self-centered life. It leads to a wasted life. But Christ's righteousness leads to a Christ-centered life and a life that counts for the glory of God. So what then? What does this life look like, this Christ-centered life? What does it look like? What does it even mean? Well, Paul tells us here, and it means four things. Notice number one. It means that we want to know the person of Christ. A Christ-centered life wants to know the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 8, Paul mentioned the personal knowledge of Jesus Christ that comes at salvation. But here in verse 10, the cry of his heart now was that I may know him. This tells us that the initial saving knowledge of Christ is merely the beginning of Paul's lifelong passion to know Christ more and more and more. And to know Christ means far more than just an intellectual knowledge. It means to know him intimately, to know him personally. You see, Paul knew Romans Culture. He knew Greco-Roman culture. He knew several languages. He knew the Old Testament frontwards and backwards. In fact, to the point where he could debate with the other rabbis and Pharisees. He knew secular philosophy. That, so he could even stand on Mars Hill in Athens and quote their own authors. But in Paul's mind, nothing can compare with knowing who? Jesus Christ. Think about it. This is, this is amazing to me follow this. Just think along these lines for me. It had been 30 years since his encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, where he first came to know Christ as his Savior and Lord. And yet Paul says here, 30 years later, I want to know him more. I want to know Jesus more. Here's a guy who walked with the Lord for 30 years, and yet he never came to the place in his life where he said, ah, oh, yeah, man, you know, I've had enough of this Jesus. Been there, done that for 30 years. I, I don't want to go overboard with knowing him, so I think I'll just back off a little bit. You know, church attendance once a month, that's okay. You know, being in God's Word uh, so a little bit, that's okay. I, you know, no, Paul says, I want to know Christ more. I want to know more, more, more. Knowing Christ was his overarching ambition in life. His inner drive was pursuing an ever-deepening and ever-widening personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowing Christ is what energized him to his devotion to Christ and his quest even to take the gospel around the world through his missionary journeys. Paul's intense longing to know Christ was born out of now his love for Christ. Just as in a good marriage. A husband longs to know his wife more deeply, more intimately. Why? Because he loves her. Paul didn't adapt an attitude that that says, Ah, yeah, I finally arrived. I have finally arrived in this journey. No, he never got bored with Jesus Christ. Because of his love for Jesus, he wants to know him more deeply. There's not a better example of this for us to follow. This is why Paul will even say in verse 17, Join in imitating me. Imitating him what? In this right here of knowing Christ more. In fact, as we observe Paul's life, we see this all-consuming passion to know Christ. J.I. Packer put it well. He says, Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord man that's a good question we probably ought to ask ourselves what is your main business in life and i know for you high school students you know well i'm a student it's a to school just i just want to finish class some of you with little kids it's just i want to make it through the day i get it moms for others of you i just want to wake up in the morning you know be able to i'm, I'm hopefully when i wake i'm still alive but beyond all that, what is your main business in life? Is it to achieve more or is it to acquire more or is it to know Christ more? Listen, everything flows from this fountain of knowing Christ. This is why the very first purpose of our church is what? It's to what? Know Christ. Christ. That's the first purpose of our church. It's the first purpose of a Christ follower. It's what it means. It's the essence. It's the beginning point of what it means to be a Christ follower. You know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the first step in making your life count for the glory of God. And so knowing Christ, yes, it begins at conversion, but it continues for the rest of our lives. And so now when we gather here as Christ followers, as people who now know Christ on Sundays, one of our goals is to what? It is to glorify God. It is to know more of Him. It is to worship Him. That's our passion. And it is to do it in community with other believers. Paul's passion is to know Christ and it sets the example for us. And so let me encourage you, make this your prayer each and every morning. Lord, I want to know you more, to really know you. Now, I get it. I get it. If you're not ready to pray that prayer, because I understand sometimes we don't even have a desire to know Christ. And we may even claim to be a Christ follower. And so maybe... The starting point for you is to simply pray, Lord, give me a desire, work in my heart now to know Christ more and make Paul's passion my passion in life. So the all-consuming passion of a Christ-centered life is to know the person of Jesus Christ. Second, the Christ-centered life, number two, wants to experience the power of Christ. You see, Paul says he not only wants to know Christ, but he wants to know the power of Christ resurrection. Now, the power of Christ's resurrection, that that is God's power. It's his life-giving power that he deployed in raising Christ from the dead. It's the power that God uses to bring about and sustain the life that we receive from Christ at salvation. And Paul describes this resurrection power in Ephesians chapter 1, 19 through 20, where he writes, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And so Paul came to know this resurrection power when he was struck down by a blinding light on the road to Damascus. And although, listen, I fully understand this, although not all conversions to Jesus Christ are as dramatic as Paul's. But listen to me. All conversions to Christ do require the same mighty power of the risen Lord. Because they all require God to raise the sinner from spiritual death to spiritual life. Paul tells of our spiritual state before salvation. You want to know how he describes you and I before we came to Christ? He says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were what in your trespasses? You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, our state before Christ, we were stone." cold, dead, spiritually speaking. And then comes the miracle of God's resurrection power in verses 4 and 6 where Paul says, But God, but God, In other words, God intervenes by His grace and in His mercy. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what does He do? Paul says, He now made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, it takes nothing less than God's resurrection power to save us. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? To make us alive together with Christ. And so here's the deal. Don't you ever shortchange your salvation. It is a miracle of God that you were raised from spiritual death to spiritual life by the resurrection power of Christ. It is God's gift to every believer in christ paul put it this way in romans 8 11, If the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you Woo! paul wanted to experience this same resurrection power in his daily life you see He understands, he knows he's justified by Christ's resurrection power, but he now wants to be sanctified, set apart in a way that glorified God, in a way that makes his life count for the glory of God, and he is by the same power. This is what one author called living life plugged in. Living life plugged in. We will never have resurrection power on our own. You realize you cannot manufacture it. You cannot turn it up as if there's a knob. You cannot even turn it on as if there's a light switch. It isn't generated by you and I. It is God's power that is given to us by God himself and is then demonstrated through us by the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And Paul's passion now is to live by this power. Now, it is easy, I understand. It is so easy to think something is wrong with God's power when my life doesn't look the way it ought to or I don't even do what I ought to do as a Christ follower. And when that happens, it's easy to point the finger to God's power. It isn't working right. Something's wrong with God's power. And we can't do that because the problem is never God's power. It's kind of like at home, I have uh, you know, two garages, I have garage door openers, and like most of you, I have a garage door opener in my car, and uh, every once in a while, I'm sure this has happened to you, this used to happen quite frequently when my boys, Jack and Tyler, were younger, and little kids, and they would leave their bikes or balls out or skateboard out, and I'd go to shut, hit the button to shut the garage door, and it's like, why isn't this shutting? You keep hitting it and hitting it, the garage door won't shut. What is wrong? And what do you think's wrong? Yeah, something's blocking that beam of light that goes across. And then you want to think, well, man, there's no power to the garage door opener. Something's, the power's been turned off. No, the power hasn't been turned off. There's nothing wrong with the power. And the same thing. Is with our own lives. The problem is something is blocking my access to the power of Christ. Something, in other words, is standing in the way of God's power working in me and through my life like it ought to. And that something, most often, you know what it is? It's our disobedience. It's simply our disobedience. As Christ followers, we're not obeying god's word we're not doing what we know to do what god tells us to do and how we should live and honor him in fact i love what jerry bridges writes he puts it like this it is time for us christians to face up to our responsibility for holy living too often we say that we are defeated by this or that sin no we are not defeated we're just simply disobedient it might be better if we stopped using the terms victory and defeat to describe our progress. Rather, we should use the terms disobedience and obedience. You see, resurrection power means living in light of the fact that God has given us the power to live out His commands, to the power to obey His Word, the power to make our lives count for His glory. In fact, this Greek word for power, it comes from the same word which we get our English words dynamite and dynamo and dynamic. Listen, the gospel is the power of God. Creation bears witness to God's power. The message of the cross is the power of God. The Holy Spirit is the power of God that dwells within us and even enables us to do what we should do as Christ followers. And now Paul, he wants to experience this power in his daily life. So that he might make his life count for God's glory. And so like Paul, do you long to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? Listen, that's a desire that God is pleased to fulfill. So pray. When you wake up in the morning, when you're driving to work, if you are gone back to work yet from working at home, a lot of us, uh, pray each day, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. So the all-consuming passion of of a Christ-centered life, it first wants to know Christ, and it wants to second know the power of his resurrection in order to make his life count for God's glory. But here's where many of us bail out on living a Christ-centered life, is point number three here, where Paul says he wants to share the sufferings of Christ. Share the sufferings of Christ. Now, let's be real here. And if you're not, I at least will be. (laughs) this is me most christians would prefer to skip this aspect of the christ-centered life right who wants to suffer for christ and so when we hear paul saying i want to know christ i want to know the power of his resurrection man we are thinking paul i am with you i want to know christ i want to know the power of his resurrection i'm there with you paul but when he now says i also want to share the sufferings of christ that's when we say well good luck with that paul i'm out of here Isn't there an option to make your life count without suffering? But Paul knows that a powerful relationship with Christ also includes, at times, a painful fellowship with Christ. When he says that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The spiritual reality is is this. Suffering... Is the calling of every believer in Jesus Christ. This is a fact that Paul frequently referenced. In fact, you go to the book of Acts, and there in Acts 14, verse 22, it says, Strengthening the souls of the disciples. This is Paul, what he's doing encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, he's telling them this, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul told the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Destined for what? For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Earlier, Paul told the Philippian church here in our study, we've seen this already in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Now, why would Paul say that? Why does Paul, man, Paul, could you not have included that? But Paul says this, because this is so contrary to our mindset, is it not? Even our Christian mindset. So let's think about suffering here for a moment in the context of Philippians chapter 3. Paul has already made it clear to us that he wrote the word loss over everything. Even the good things this world has to offer. He counted the treasures of this world as, quote, loss in order to gain the treasures of Christ. So what is suffering then in that context? Well, David Platt, author and pastor, writes, he says, suffering is mainly the taking away of things that this world has to offer us, good things and bad things. In other words, in the context of loss and gain, suffering is the taking away of our job. That brings suffering, does it not? And believe me, this last year during COVID, many people experienced that suffering. Suffering is taking away of our finances. Suffering is the taking away of our home. That brings suffering. If we were to lose our spouse or even a child, that brings tremendous suffering. If we were to lose our health or our strength or our reputation, perhaps even our esteem among our peers, that too brings suffering. And so no doubt the loss of these things, it brings suffering, real suffering, painful suffering. However, as David Platt goes on to write, and I quote, If we've written loss over these things then already, then when God calls us to forfeit some of those things, it's not actually a loss because we've already placed them in the loss column. It's a gain because losing these things, no matter how precious they are, and because of the very real pain that goes with losing these things, it drives you deeper, he writes, into the gain that you have in Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's saying is you depend more on Christ. You lean on Him more. You rely on Him more. When you lose the things you've already counted as loss. That's when you need Christ more and you treasure Christ more in your life. And yes, I fully understand this kind of thinking and living, it flies in the face of our culture. I mean, do we not live in a culture where everything in life is centered on minimizing one's suffering And maximizing one's comfort in life. If we buy into that goal over God's goal for Christ followers, then we will reap two consequences. We will never come to the point where we truly treasure Christ above everything that this world has to offer. Why? Because the treasure of Christ, it will be choked out By the treasures of this world. And we will never, number two, we will never live a life then that truly counts for the glory of God. However, if Paul's passion to live live a Christ-centered life begins to take root in your heart, then we can be confident that our lives will be on a trajectory of making our lives count for God's glory. Listen, as Christians, we should have a radically different perspective, a radically different mindset... A different view of suffering than those without Christ because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, right? I mean, after all, we, we know here. We know the end of the story. We know that a day is coming when suffering will be no more. We know that even in suffering that God still loves us. At least we ought to. That God is with us. He is near to us. He cares for us. He will protect us. And he will never forsake us. But Paul says something even more. He doesn't just say he wants to suffer just for the sake of suffering. Listen, Paul's not some masochist here. He's not crazy. Nobody wants to suffer just for the sake of suffering. But Paul does say this. I do want to share in my Lord's suffering in order to, and here's the purpose of it, to be like Christ. That's the goal. That's the purpose. In other words, Paul is telling us that for the believer, suffering is a part of God's goal for your life. It's a part of God's plan for your life to design us, it's part of God's design to make us like Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying to us, how do you then live if you've been saved by grace? You look suffering square in the eyes and you say, Lord don't waste one drop of my suffering. Make this count in making me like Jesus. And you're like, man, I don't know about that, Bruce. That's a heavy-duty prayer. How is that even possible? Because again, let's be real here. It's one thing to look suffering in the eyes and say, Lord, don't waste one drop of my suffering. But it's quite another to actually then live through suffering. So here's the question. You didn't know it's coming up on the screen. What can steal our resolve to face and embrace the sufferings of Christ when our natural instinct is to pull away from what brings pain? Well, don't miss the order here. It's critical. The power of Christ's resurrection precedes the sharing of Christ's sufferings. This is critical. The only way that one can handle The sharing of Christ's suffering is by walking in the power of Christ's resurrection. In other words, being plugged in, being dependent on Christ's power is what allows you to persevere, to press on in Christ's sufferings. What God told Paul, it is also true for you and I as Christ followers here today in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And so when the pain of suffering becomes most intense, the Christ who loves us draws closer to us through his ever-present spirit that dwells within us. And so it is with Christ's resurrection power that we can face and embrace the sufferings of Christ. The Christ-centered life, first of all, it wants to know Jesus Christ. Second of all, it wants to know the power of Jesus Christ. It wants to even share the sufferings of Christ. And then Paul says, says lastly, that he desires that it makes it all worthwhile. It wants to attain the resurrection of Christ, number four. Look what Paul says in verse 11. Look at it with me. He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, at first glance, that kind of seems like Paul's a little uncertain about his resurrection. But that's not the case at all. Paul is not expressing uncertainty on his future in heaven. He's simply acknowledging that he doesn't know the route by which God will bring him to the finish line. Paul knows the resurrection is certain. But Paul is uncertain about the timing of it. And even about the circumstances surrounding it. In other words, would Paul die and then rise from the dead? Or or would Paul receive a transformed resurrection body without passing through death? Either way, somehow he will, in his own words, attain the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul is basically saying something like this. Somehow, I don't know how, I don't know all the details or the timing, but eventually my suffering will take me to a resurrection from the dead. And I am looking forward to that glorious day. Because that means I will now be face to face in the presence of Jesus Christ, the one that I've lived to know more and more. So what Paul did know is that he would experience something the resurrection from the dead. And we here too, as Christ fathers, we should long for that. We should know that that is our destiny as well. We should long for this glorious end, the final resurrection when we will see Jesus Christ face to face. This is the hope that Paul reminds us of here in verses 20 and 21 of Philippians 3 when he writes, but our citizenship is in, not here on earth, He says it's in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to be subject all things to himself. In other words, we have a taste of this glory now, but we haven't experienced the fullness of it. We are still waiting for our resurrected bodies, our new home in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so let this hope, that destiny of yours, let that encourage you in your sufferings. Let this hope help you to put the treasures of this world that surrounds us and tempts us into perspective. And most of all, let this hope motivate you to make your life count for the glory of God. Listen, Paul had tasted the joy of Christ on the road to Damascus, and he wanted to know Christ more now. Paul never got over his encounter with Christ. And so like David, Paul is urging us here in Psalm 34, 8, to taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. Taste and see it. So what are you hungry for? I know it's almost noontime, lunchtime. Some of you are thinking about what you're going to go home and eat. Go out to a restaurant and eat. What are you hungry for? You may be physically hungry for this or that for lunch. But spiritually speaking, what are you hungry for? Are you hungry to know Christ more? And that hunger now compels you... It motivates you in your daily life of how you live and what you do. Even even such as you look forward, there's times, not. I'm not saying every day, you get up in the morning, you look forward to your, your quiet time with the Lord to know Him more through His Word, His revealed Word to us. It motivates you to, when you're tired on a Saturday night and, and it's like, oh, do I want to get out of bed and come to church? Yes. Why? Because Christ is my passion. I can't wait. I long to know Christ more and do it with com- in the community with other believers and to worship in person. Man, if, if COVID didn't teach us anything, it taught us that, right? Hopefully. Of what we missed when we were on lockdown and couldn't worship together for three months. This is a privilege, what we're doing here. This is an honor. This is a joy. But it's not just Sunday, it is the rest of our week as well. What are you hungry for? What dampens your hunger for Christ? What robs you? Listen, you will never make your life count for God's glory. You will never have joy in the journey if your relationship with Him is casual. If your obedience to Him is partial. Or if your worship of Him is just occasional. It will never happen for you. Paul is showing us here by the example of his own life that the all-consuming passion of the life that counts for God's glory, it is a life that is centered on Christ. And so here's my challenge to myself and to you here at LifeBridge. Here's my challenge. Make Paul's passion your prayer. And so right now, would you bow your heads with me? And in the quietness of our auditorium here, would you cry out and make this your prayer even right now? Would, it's on the screen if you need it. It's in your notes. Pray it word for word. Put it in your own words however you might. But would you pray this prayer? Heavenly Father, I want to make my life count for your glory. And so to that end, may I know Christ in the power of his resurrection. And may I share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Maybe you weren't ready to pray that prayer here this morning, but I, I hope and pray that God, through his spirit, works in your heart to draw you to him, first in salvation, but also that you would live a life that is pleasing to him. Not to earn A relationship with him, but out of overflow of that relationship, because you've already been made righteous in Christ through your faith in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for the testimony of Paul's passion to know you more. Forgive us for thinking that Jesus is just a ticket to heaven when he should be our treasure on earth. Lord, we ask that by your grace that Jesus would be our our greatest treasure and that the desire to know him more would become our all-consuming passion. This we seek in Jesus' name. Amen.